Welcome to the Out of the Box Podcast. It is the final episode for the month of February. A full month. A whole month of softball. Ray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. Tom, can you believe it? I can't. I also need to know where I need to go to buy a big hat. Mm. Apparently those are in fashion right now. Bighat.com. Yes. I've heard. Oh, okay. Maybe. I don't know. I Possibly. Pulled that out of... We need an out of the box big hat. Can you imagine... Can you imagine the size of the box <laughs> that the out-of-the-box big hat would come from? It would not fit. We would not both be able to wear a big hat and fit into the press box at UAP. I know that much. Absolutely not. But our, our cubicle. Our head would be insulated. <laughs> that is true. That seems clear. <laughs> this is the 76th episode of the Out-of-the-Box podcast. We've got so much to get to. Let's go through our trip around the bases, shall we? We'll start at the plate. What a week for the Alabama Crimson Tide. The week that you needed ahead of the big marquee non-conference weekend and then two weeks away from conference play. We'll dive into all that, but Tom, certainly plenty of good to go over. Yes, the the good portion will by far outweigh the bad and the meh after the weekend because there wasn't a whole lot of either one of those. I have one bad thing and it's like not related to anything on the field. So oh, okay. We'll even dive better. into that later. Okay. Then we'll look at what's to come this week, including that big marquee matchup with Arizona. And of course, don't forget about South Alabama and you and I. Like, it's going to be a, a great time at the Crimson Classic. Usually when the, the schedule is made, the Bama Bash is kind of the more marquee in the Crimson Classic. Sometimes isn't as much so, but definitely reverse this year. The Crimson Classic, by far the biggest non-conference games on the Bama schedule. After that, we will advance to first, and you'll hear the audio from It Just Means More Softball. I would recommend, of course, listening to the full episode as well on the Softball America YouTube page because our guest is LSU's Taylor Pleasance, who leads the SEC in RBIs. Not far behind her, Abby Dusher. That is correct. We'll get to that stat in just a bit. <laughs> After that, we'll steal second, and we're bringing in a wildcat, not from Kentucky, but from Arizona. Kenzie okay. Fowler yes. is joining us. You've heard her on ESPN and the Pac-12 Network. She was an All-American pitcher at Arizona. We need to learn about these Wildcats because everything I have seen and everything I've studied numerically tells me that this is an explosive team and we're in for a heck of a weekend. Kind of showing how much of an anomaly last year was for Arizona. They're, they're pretty much back to form this year. Then we'll round third. Big games this week. Now we're kind of getting into the... All right, people are going places. Most of the high-quality non-con tournaments are over. We do have the Judy Garman, but it's always kind of been a little lesser than the Mary Nutter. And, you know, we've got some fascinating true road games this weekend. Yeah, people actually going on the road, face, you know, three-game series or tournaments on the road. So it's going to be an interesting week because this is the last weekend of non-conference play for a lot of the major conferences like the SEC. And the ACC starts this weekend. Which is nuts. Wow. What? Are, okay. We'll also do ACL Player of the Week, and then we'll head home. We'll do opening month power rankings. So our vibe check on the SEC teams, give our top five power rankings. And then, of course, off the wall. And a Birmingham Tom's Hungry. Yes. We we treated it like a real road series. We did our it, thing. Yeah. So we made sure we, we left Tuscaloosa early enough to have lunch in Birmingham. Made sure we ate places that we didn't have in Tuscaloosa. So, yeah, I, I am ready to uh, to discuss the food 
uh, voyage that we went on. Kind of a clash for me because a lot of a couple of the places that we went to are places I've like grown up going to. So I'm very excited to discuss on this podcast. Okay. Yeah. And if you're ever in the Birmingham area, like this is for you. If you're staying in Birmingham when you're coming to Tuscaloosa for a series, take note. Yes. You're going to hear some spots. We're here to help. But we begin at the plate. It's time for the weekly recap. A 5-0 and record at the Green and Gold Classic. I keep forgetting it was a part of this week, but also there was a midweek win over North Alabama that has happened since we last recorded a yes, podcast. indeed it did. The good, the offense overall, in the tournament in Birmingham, a 403 batting average, 45 runs, eight home runs, six doubles, 44 RBIs, an OBP at 500, and 11 for 13 in stolen bases. A couple specialty things, Tom, before we dive into the full picture. The leadoff reached rate, the leadoff batter in an inning reached base 0.759, so 75.9% of the time. With runners on, Alabama hit 417. Risp, Alabama hit 351. With two outs, Alabama hit 435. And Alabama had 19 of their 44 RBIs come with two outs. That is nearly 44%. Yes. We'll take all of those. That's outstanding numbers. And uh, that was one of the things like, yes, you know, you take a look, the first game against UAB when Alabama scored eight runs in the first inning, they were all unearned, but they were all scored with two outs. That's why they became unearned. Right. Uh, so, yes, you took advantage of, of a miscue by the opponent, but you had to take advantage of it. You had to execute at that point. And Alabama just, they really passed the bat down extremely well. I mean, did basically everything right on yeah. offense that you could. And it all started with Jenna Johnson, yes. your SEC co-player of the week. So proud of her. The first Alabama SEC player of the week since 2021. Which is crazy. I, I was, when SID extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan sent us that, I was shocked. And why did Jenna get it? Because she hit 727. 8 of 11, had 6 RBIs, a homer, a double, 8 runs scored, a 769 OBP. Tom, if Jenna hits just like marginally better opening weekend, she might be leading the SEC in batting average right now. That is how good she has been overall this year. And it seems as though she's really embraced being that leadoff hitter and doing what she has to do as a leadoff hitter. Uh, there were two to three games this weekend where she reached base every time she had a plate appearance right that's amazing and that's going to set yourself up when you have batters hitting as well as abby dukeshire and and people behind you you're going to be there to get knocked in and that's what you're supposed to do as a leadoff hitter so even though she doesn't she's she's fast but she doesn't have the prototypical leadoff hitter speed um if she's on base that doesn't matter jenna opening weekend was two for 15 then the obp was still pretty good yeah since then we're looking at 10 for 15 with a couple games missed. Right. And absolutely amazing performance right now for Jenna Johnson. And what we're wanting to see here in her last go around fifth season, you know, that she is the leader of the team, both on and off the field. And it's much easier to be a team leader off the field when you are also leading them on the field like she's doing right now. And then right behind, you know, I've got Marley Giles next, but I do want to pinpoint Abby Ducher because oftentimes it was Duke who was driving in the runners. 7 of 15 on the weekend, 8 RBIs, 2 homers, a double, 4 runs scored, 579 OBP. Duke, one of 6 SEC players with at least 20 RBIs this year. The other 5 
or Allie Enright at Texas A&M, the transfer in, who's been fantastic. Skylar Wallace, we know how good she is, reigning SEC Player of the Year. Jocelyn Erickson, Florida, who's coming from Oklahoma. Taylor Pleasance, who you, as you're listening to this, probably heard on It Just Means More Softball. Yeah. She's been consistently one of the best RBI producers in the league. And Sarah Mosley from Georgia, who, I mean, has been a Player of the Year candidate the last three seasons. So that is... Fairly elite company for Abby Dukeshire. Yeah, that's to get in that rarefied air, talking about some of the uh, preseason and, as you mentioned, the reigning uh, player of the year nominees in this conference, and her her numbers are right up there with them. Really, really amazing. And, you know, there was a discussion on who actually would be Alabama's nominee for player of the week. Yeah. And like Abby had a really good case for it, go with Jenna Johnson and she ends up winning it. Right. And Abby Dukeshire, it would have been interesting to see if Abby and Allie Newland would have been co as well, because Allie's batting average was a little bit better than Duke's had a couple more RBIs. I wonder if it was the BA and the OBP for Jenna that kind of solidified that. It's interesting. Yeah, I would think. Marley Giles hit 700 on the weekend, seven of 10, five RBIs, three homers. A double, three runs scored, 750 OBP. She is currently ranked in the conference in slugging and on base percentage. And Marley, you know, it was so interesting. It was as if the Riley Valentine Grand Slam told Marley, oh, I, I can't screw around anymore. <laughs> right. Like, if I want to play this year, mm-hmm. I if she's doing that, I have to step up. And Marley, after that Grand Slam, was like impossible to keep off base or in the park. Right, yeah, having a multi-homer game and, you know, really one of the only maybe negatives of the weekend was that Riley Valentine, after she hit the Grand Slam, didn't get another hit for the rest of the weekend. Uh, but, you know, you have that capability if you're Riley Valentine. So Mar- Marley Giles is like, well, if, you know, if I'm going to get playing time, I got to produce when I'm given, given the chance. And she certainly did that this weekend. Bailey Dowling got back on track, four of nine, four RBIs, a double two-run scored. I saw a little consternation about her not playing in the finale against UAB or in the game against UNA. There's nothing there. Yeah, Yeah. everything's fine. Don't worry about that. There was some consternation in the booth when Kristen White had that collision at home plate. Luckily, because I guess she's fine, she was able to re-enter and round out what was a fairly good return for the Crimson Tide, hit Hit 364, 4 of 11, 462 OBP. Already has stolen three bases. I mean, it's interesting because now, like, all right, my whole thought was Kristen White will come back and be the leadoff hitter. Right. Uh, no, it's now Jenna. But now you've got K-Dub, who can be in the nine spot, get on base, and set Jenna up to drive her in or, you know, keep an inning going with right. a, with some kind of base hit leading to the RBI producers right behind. Yeah, if you end up putting her in the nine spot, kind of like what uh, Alyssa Brown did when she was in the nine spot. You right. know, it just turns the lineup over, gives you an extra uh, leadoff person. And then when uh, there was the one game this weekend where uh, Jenna didn't play and you had Cat Grill Chris in the nine spot, Kristen White in the one, and Lauren Johnson in the two, cool. that's so much speed. It's a lot happening. Yeah, I mean, and they're on base all the time, too. Cat Grill, when given the opportunity, is is always producing. So there is uh, uh, so much good happening right now, Alabama offensively. 
I mean, I didn't want to just like list everyone because I wanted to save some paper, but I have a bullet point that says basically everything. Like it, yeah. it truly was. It's hard to to find anyone who really kind of struggled, maybe outside of Riley, who not only didn't have a hit after the Grand Slam, but seemed to kind of be struggling with her plan and uh, had a couple more strikeouts than you'd expect. But Kendall Clark had a home run. We haven't even mentioned Kimley Kahalen, who was just like super solid. Yeah, so Emma, many good things. Emma Broadfoot continues to just hammer her former team. If we're talking old. about the week, Emma, yeah. including the midweek, was awesome. Yes, so I, it was a, a really good performance by this Alabama offense. And again, having it after last week, last weekend, and then like on the last episode of the podcast, we were like, "Well, that was kind of meh." Yeah, yeah, you know, there wasn't really a whole lot happening. They they really. They really uh, took advantage of it this weekend. What is the inverse of copying and pasting? Because that's what this <laughs> at the plate segment is from Correct. the last show. Yes. Pitching. I mean, there's not a ton to to touch on here. You didn't really face offenses yeah. that, that and, were going to do much to you, right. but pitching took care of business. Pitching was fine. And to anyone who's, who's probably yelling at, at us right now, we understand the opponents that Alabama were playing. Sure. We understand that situation. But – other teams are not doing to that same caliber opponent what Alabama did to that caliber opponent this past weekend. Yeah. And frankly, Alabama has not typically done that to teams in no, the past. This is not what this is not something Alabama does very often. Right. So I'm relishing it. Yes. The man, eh, some weird defensive errors, like stuff that I saw where I thought, oh, okay, that's like a one-time thing. Not anything decision making. You know, bad choice here. Why did you throw that? Marley had the one throw. She did that one time last year, and then it never happened again. Probably not going to see it again this year. Otherwise, I mean, the defense was outstanding, and all the good, the double plays, the relays, all that outweighed any bad that came. Yeah. Another note that we were given by Nathan Sheehan, Sports Information Director extraordinaire. Somewhere he's laughing. Somewhere he's laughing. Or he will be soon. <laughs> and he's also compiling uh, stats and, and nuggets and notes, but that – the three double plays in one game for Alabama, the first time Alabama's had three or more double plays in a game since 2009. Mm. Outstanding stuff. The bad, all I have written is the uncertainty about the status of Lauren Esman and Jocelyn Brisky. Didn't really get any clarity there. It seems like both are somewhat close, but there was really no need to press and try and see if they could go this weekend. I do think it's important for hopefully at least one of them pitching wise to be available for what's about to be a super busy week. But uh, that's kind of the one negative for the weekend. Yeah. Cause that's, there's going to be a, a pretty taxing on the four healthy pitchers for six games in four days. Okay. If you don't have one, if not both of Esmond or Brisky available. And as I really would like to see Brisky available too, because I want to see her pitch in that pressure because I've thought for a long time that she was going to be one of the starters in a conference series you know, she's had some pressure against Georgia Tech and, you know, did pitch a little bit in the Bama Bash against Virginia, but I need to see her against a team the caliber of Arizona who can hit like the Wildcats can hit. Yeah, for sure. Just a few random stats that I like. I'm not going to read all these. Uh, Jenna Johnson, when leading off an inning, is reaching 65% of the time. Abby Dukesher is hitting 486 with runners on base. Left-handed hitters are 0 for 37 this year against Kayla Beaver. Oh, for 37. <laughs> and, and the left-handed batters are supposed to have an advantage against her because she's right-handed. That's the matchup. That's the way it usually works. With runners on, teams against Jayla Torrance are hitting 059. 
two for 34. That's it. Come on. Yeah. I could have picked more, but right. again, saving paper. Sure. Just crazy. And now we look forward to the Crimson Classic and the midweek uh, against Jacksonville State on Wednesday, but Northern Iowa on Thursday, South Al and Arizona Friday, South Al and Arizona Saturday, Tom Multiplatform Excellence Solo on Thursday, radio and TV options on Friday and Saturday will all be working for what is suddenly a fairly complex field. You and I this past weekend beat Auburn, South Al this past hey, weekend. Um, oh, come on. South Al beat South Carolina. This isn't, it just means more softball. I can, I can show my bias. It's later tonight. Yeah. <laughs> South Al's also one here against Alabama and we know how good Arizona is that offense is insane so I think it actually is before we put it in play important that maybe we do legitimately talk about the plan here lineup wise and pitching wise because in my eyes this is the first time where Patrick Murphy probably needs to pick and stick you know if he can as long as everybody's healthy again the health has been I think the reason why we haven't seen more of a steady one through nine but there in addition to that there still are more than nine right like starter caliber players that are playing that way right now the way i have envisioned this weekend working means lauren johnson is not a regular starter and she leads the team in batting average which is crazy i think yeah. i think we're probably going to see an outfield of pruitt white and johnson because i think that is what it will end up being and then lauren is ready just in case one of those three goes into a slump or something can see that. Also, don't forget Kendall Clark. That's, that's true. Don't forget Cat Grill. Anthony Sinello is like, how dare you? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, I it, know it's hard, but I I do think you have to kind of try and formulate what it's going to look like when you play Florida. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to move that because that is coming up. We're we're like out of time. Like this is the <laughs> final weekend to shift around. Yeah, I, I think you keep you keep Jen in the leadoff spot. Yeah, I, I keep, like that. You keep Kristen in, in the nine hole. Uh, Kenley Kahalen is one that has been moving up and down a lot. I think she probably would fit if Lauren Johnson's not in the lineup. I think she fits in as your two mm. in the two spot the best. You know, Duke and Duke in the three or four. Uh, yeah, that's Duke three, and then uh, if you're, you know, Bailey Dowling probably in the four. I like Callie Hevlin more in the seven eight role. I agree. Uh, she seems to be more comfortable there. Where do you throw Marley? Do you uh, go Marley, Marley four, four, Bailey yeah. five? Yeah, probably so. Larissa six. And then Larissa six. Chris, okay. There we go. We just did it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Murph, no, you know where we live. Yeah. <laughs> Send us our bill. Yeah, I'm by the way, I misspoke. Lauren has Lauren Johnson has now been surpassed by Marley Giles hitting 471. But and yeah, I'm not saying Lauren's not gonna play all weekend. Right. I I just think that we I saw enough opening weekend from Kristen White to show me that she's like good to go. And now I need to see her do it against yeah. the South Owls and Olivia Lackey's and Arizona's. I would be cool. I, I think Marley Giles also, as she receives the ball, well, you know, great arm, good defensive catcher. I, I think you're cool with, with Giles being the catcher. And now the question is, who's the DP? Is it Kittle Clark? Is it Riley Valentine? Is it Emma Broadfoot? Is it Abby Dukesher with Lauren Esman at first, if she's back? Right. Yeah. So that's the other thing we're missing. Lauren Esman's bat right. as much, if not more, than, than what we're missing in the circle from her. So uh, if she's able to go, you plug her right back in and see if she's still as hot as she was uh, when she went out. Pitching-wise, so we know Kayla Beaver's getting one of the Arizona games. Sure. I sure. think so. Yeah. I think Jayla gets the other one. Probably. 
and then you let Brisky duel with Olivia Lackey if she's back. And if not, then maybe it's a flip of those two. We'll see and have Ailey against you and I, or maybe Salt against you and I, and Ailey against Jacksonville State. Yeah, I would think so. There are some other matchups that you can do it based on if you think you have a, a good matchup with an Arizona team if they hit the down ball better or the rise ball, which we'll ask our our guest yeah. in, in a couple of segments. <laughs> Who should we start? Right. <laughs> Tom, it's never been this difficult. Who are we? I think we got to be the SEC player of the week. Okay. Have we ever been Jenna? Maybe one or two times, but yeah. this is pretty sick. I'm down with it. And almost 800 on base percentages. Just nasty. <laughs> We're trying not to get hit by a pitch because Jenna also leads a team in that. Right. And I think leads the conference. Yeah, she has now fallen one behind. Oh, man. Uh, Jen Cummings at South Carolina now okay. has seven. She needs to stop leaning into it. But Come on. <laughs> but it was funny this weekend. Uh, funny to watch. It probably wasn't funny to, to play. But that people that kept getting hit by pitches got hit in the weirdest spots in the weirdest ways. It wasn't like the normal all got hit in the arm, except for the two times Warren Johnson did and wasn't allowed to take first base and ended up walking anyway. But like people getting hit in the backside and the back. Oh, yeah. And it's like the ankle, yeah. the shoulder, like <laughs> between the shoulders. Like, how did you even do that? <sighs> We're Jenna Johnson. Sounds good. Let's advance the first. When we come back, you'll hear the audio from It Just Means More Softball. All the conference recaps, weird week in the SEC, one that has made me truly uncertain of how this conference race will go. We were we were very high on everybody in the conference last week. Uh, that took a little hit yeah. last week. Yeah. yeah. We'll discuss that. Yeah. When you come back here on the Out of the Box podcast. way i decided that the first two topics we would talk about were the two teams that we expected coming into the year to be one and two in the sec and we'll start with georgia who split with virginia tech handled everybody else in their home tournament splitting with virginia tech not a crime very important that they were able to get that one back in game two after uh, losing game one against the Hokies. but you know virginia tech always dangerous with emma limley and an offense that that has the capability uh, to show off some power Georgia, I mean, you know, I leave the weekend not necessarily changing my opinion of them. Maybe the team ERA at 212 a little bit more elevated than I thought it would be, but they were also at Clearwater. So, you know, we have to include the Clearwater clause on those pitching statistics. Yeah, because uh, one of the comments we were making last week, the caveats to all the Clearwater uh, inflated ERAs and, and RBI totals and home run totals was, well, if in the other big tournaments like the Mary Nutter, if those numbers are huge there too, then maybe it's not such an outlier. Mary Nutter was pretty much normal softball. So I think we kind of just have to put that Clearwater clause into a lot of the teams that were down there. Normal softball. Yes. Big fans of it. Round of applause. Normal right. softball. Team batting average sitting at 323. Cindy Kuma off to a, a continued hot start. 579 batting average. 652 OBP, which is ridiculous. Jada Kearney batting 385 with 12 RBIs. And Sarah Mosley is only hitting 289, but she's got 20 RBIs. Uh, you'll take the RBIs no matter what the batting average is. Like I said, I don't leave super concerned with Georgia, even though they did drop a game. And that's a big reason why Georgia remained at number three in the Softball America Top 25 poll. Not only was the loss to a good team, but they also got it back. So not much of 
a drop off in our perception. Yeah, splitting with a team like Virginia Tech is no crime at all. Um, you know, the fact that they were able to get that game back, uh, I pretty much leveled things out for the weekend. Uh, I think you've got to give just Virginia Tech some more credit that they, you know, could pitch well. They pitched well even without in, with in the non MLM in Emma Limley games or innings easy for me to say uh but uh, um Alabama plays Virginia Tech this year you've got to get that one right I'll get I'll get in on those but it's not just hers it was my point was that you know they have a staff and then their offense has improved too so um I think that that was two really well uh evenly matched teams Georgia gets a split and they didn't they did not lose um a to a lesser team during the weekend. So that they're, they're in a good, good spot. Nolan has an interesting comment that I agree with. I think we just said, I don't think my perception has changed much about Georgia. I think Virginia tech has played very well and is legit. And Haley adds in the chat. Do you think it matters if a team splits, if they win first or lose first in terms of polls or later bracketing? Uh, bracketing, I don't think it, it matters much at all. The committee's looking at the team sheet and seeing, all right, they beat Virginia Tech, they lost to Virginia Tech. For poll perception a little bit, it's not necessarily in which order you win or lose, but more who's pitching for whom yeah. when those games occur. That that kind of is factored in for me, but I don't know. You're not a voter, Tom. How would you evaluate that question? I, that's what I was going to say. I think it matters more about, you know, did this team lose to a number one or a number two on a staff? I think that matters more than the order. Uh, I mean, unless there, unless there's some other extenuating circumstance, like one happens on a Friday, Friday night, and then the next one happens on Saturday and there's weather on Saturday or something, uh, unless there's some other different external factors that factor into it. So thank you, Haley, for the comment. So let's talk about Tennessee. Uh, they went out West, they went four and two. The losses, uh, they lost 6-2 to UCLA on MLB Network. Hope all of you watched. And they got run-ruled by Fullerton, 11-2. Yeah. I mean, I, I was I was as shocked by that as any score I've seen. I know you've said that multiple times already in the last few days and we've been on the air. But just to see Tennessee get shellacked by the Titans with Gottschall starting, I think that was what made it even more surprising. On the same day, that Pickens throws a perfect game. Right. Obviously, it was a different team, but uh, yeah, it was very, very weird. And yeah, losing to Fullerton, not the hugest deal in the world because you know Fullerton's a good team. They're an at-large team in the tournament last year. They usually get some of these games. You know, they beat Florida last year out there. They, they get some big wins in the non-conference, which is why they were an at-large team last year. Uh, but run ruling a very good Tennessee team was certainly a shock in that situation. And I, I think if you're Tennessee, you know, you can kind of, I think you kind of throw Clearwater out again because they only got to play two games. Uh, then the weather happened uh, and they had two really close games against two really good teams. Um, but I think there's a little bit more you can take away from what happened out at the Nutter lose to a UCLA team that had, had been scuffling out of the gate that they're, they're obviously a very good, very talented team, but we had a lot of questions about UCLA uh, and then getting run rule by Fullerton. Um, I, I think there's a little bit of retooling they'll need to be done for Tennessee before they get into conference. Team batting average for the Lady Balls sits at 287. Riley West is still hitting 441. But I, I want to draw your attention to the last four on the rundown. McKenna Gibson's hitting 306. That's that's good. Kiki Malloy hitting 289. That is solid, but surprisingly low for her. She struck out 10 times this year. That's 
odd. Uh, Sophia Nugent is hitting 250. Zeta Pooney coming back from injury, but she's hitting 160. So it's clear that she's not quite raring to go. The team ERA is as high as maybe it was all year, perhaps last season, sitting at 180 with Pickens and Gottschall carrying the load for the most part. I mean, Again, I'm never going to be super concerned about Tennessee. Like, Kiki Malloy is a very good player. I'm not about to to say that she's in trouble or they're in trouble or anything like that. But there have been just a couple moments where I thought the Lady Vols would perform better, and they have not. Yeah, Zeta Pooney struggling so much at the plate, I think it is a big detriment for what they're trying to do in that lineup. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I agree with you. Kiki Malloy is going to be fine, and she's she's still one of, if not the most dangerous person to face even if she's not putting up a great average right now um and i think you know in the circle pickens and Gottschall. last year it was that three-headed monster it was those two and ashley rogers and maybe there's just a little bit of growing pains uh acclimating to not having ashley rogers around actually during the season so it wasn't a surprise we knew she was going to be gone uh but you know maybe you know a little bit more being put on them that wasn't necessarily on them last year Let's move on to Arkansas. The Hogs went five and one. They lost to Wichita State three to one, struck out 15 times. And they were like, this won't do and scored 15 runs against the Shockers the next time out and run ruled a very good Wichita State team. Um, Arkansas continues to kind of, I guess, float along doesn't feel right to say. I just they're not playing their best ball right now. They're capable of more, but they're also not doing anything super disastrous. I just think it's more surprising to see that when they lose games, it's because the offense isn't producing, not because the pitchers are getting hit. The staff is doing quite well. Robin Heron had a perfect game against Illinois State. Morgan Linestock a sub one ERA, but uh, the offense is still trying to get into rhythm. Yeah, and uh, that that's that's been uh, somewhat surprising. Uh, but something a point you were making uh, last week about a new pitching, uh, excuse me, a new hitting coach in the first year. Sometimes, even if you have all the talent in the world, it takes a little while if there's a major change in philosophy or just mindset or how you're doing something. Uh, the process could be different. Um, it's going to take people a little bit of time to get into that flow offensively. And I think that maybe that's what we're seeing here with Arkansas. Um, they're, I don't know if I'm to the point of being able to say kind of like Tennessee, well, they're going to be fine. I think our, I think Arkansas is going to be fine, but there's still, there's still those question marks. Let's talk about Texas A&M before we bring in the LSU shortstop. The Aggies were stunned by Kansas. I was just like shocked when I saw that final score. They went to extras against UTSA on Sunday, a game that, the score may be a little misleading. It was one on a walk-off grand slam, five to one and eight. Emily Kennedy had a perfect game going into the sixth, a no-hitter going into extra innings. She's your SEC pitcher of the week. Uh, but I mean, I, I still I don't think my opinion of AM changes. I'm I'm surprised at how they lost to Kansas in shutout fashion, but this is still a pretty stacked offense right now with Allie Enright with uh, 21 RBIs and hitting 541. And Kennedy has clearly found a way to put it all together this year because she is pitching the best of her entire career. Yeah, I think that the game against Kansas, I think that's one of those where you kind of just look at what Kansas is doing because they're kind of a, a team on the come up in the Big 12. Uh, so I, that, I think that is maybe a little bit more of this was Kansas's opportunity to make a statement on the uh, in the big matchup against Texas A&M. Um, I wouldn't take a whole lot out of it. Being able to 
gut out a victory against uh, San Antonio. Uh, what was a, a pretty impressive job by AM when things weren't going well. It, it, it had been a rough day, but you found a way to get the win against the Roadrunners. Um, the offense is, like I said, Allie Enright is just you know, <laughs> unconscious right now. She is <laughs> unbelievable. And then Emily Kennedy in the circle, uh, Texas A&M uh, continues to show themselves that they're a team that could be in the upper echelon of this conference if they put it all together and the breaks fall the right way. That being said, they did lose, which means there are now two undefeated teams remaining in the SEC. We follow one of them, the Alabama Crimson Tide, and the other, the LSU Tigers. And I think, Tom, now is the perfect time to bring in our guest tonight, our big bopper. And, you know, we can talk for a little bit about LSU as we kind of go back to the teams and and discuss what went on around the conference. You know, LSU hitting 374. It's one of the best in the conference. We just talked to Taylor Pleasance, who's got 27 RBIs and is hitting 444. Allie Newland, the SEC Co-Player of the Week, is hitting 429 with 16 ribbies, three homers. Rudity, one of my favorite names to say, Rudity. is hitting 406. Uh, Berzon and Chafin, as we talked about last week, like, of course, the ERAs are going to go down after Clearwater. That was not representative of how good those pitchers are. It, it's been, you know, th- this week was kind of a return to form for LSU and kind of back to where I thought they could reach. Yeah, agreed. And I think a lot of it's going to come down to that pitching staff, Berzon, Chafin, uh, Chafin and company, uh, because, you know, that offense is going to be able to produce. Right. I mean, we saw in Clearwater when everybody was was hitting the, the, the heck out of the ball that LSU's offense can hang with pretty much anybody at any time. Uh, so it's going to be whether or not that pitching staff can keep those games uh, in, within reach, and they certainly showed they could here this past weekend. So we'll pop back into the order that we had set. Next up after Texas A&M was Auburn. Hmm, a shocking loss to Northern Iowa, who we will see this weekend in the Crimson Classic on CTSN or on SEC Network+. Plus. Uh, there are two big issues statistically here, a team batting average that is last in the conference at 274 and a team ERA at 209 and a pitching staff that has thrown 28 total innings. Um, that's outside of Matty Pinta. So right now it's where are the runs coming from? And is there anybody behind Matty Pinta that can really step up and take some of the innings from her? So she doesn't have to throw every single time you're in a dicey situation. So basically, all our preseason questions about Auburn either remain unanswered or have been answered negatively for the Tigers. So that that's that is the biggest issue for Auburn right now. Um, like take for Sam for example the UNI games, the game that they lost, the number one pitcher for North Northern Iowa wasn't pitching in that ball game. Maddie Maddie Pinta was pitching for Auburn and. Yeah, you and I took advantage of a couple errors, but you and I won that game. And then Auburn comes back, and they do beat you and I in the second matchup. Matty Penta pitches again, pitches a no-hitter against the number one for you and I, and Auburn only scores one run in that game. So the as uh, as happy as you probably were if you're Auburn to at least you know split that series, um, I don't think you answered very many of your questions in a positive manner moving forward. Yeah, and Maddie Penta is going to Maddie Penta, but she can't do it all on her own. And we'll see if 
people like Amelia Lett can can keep going. She's kind of been the best offensive option, hitting 364 with five RBIs, or I beg your pardon, five home runs and 14 RBIs. KK McCrary's been solid, hitting 333, but it's just hard to find a a star right now for the Tigers beyond Matty Pinta. And I mean, you know, stats are what they are, and teams do get better, but having a 274 batting average before March when Auburn really hasn't they haven't had to face the teams from Clearwater. They had the games against Virginia tech. They haven't been playing slouches, but it's still a little concerning. You wonder if they've kind of reverted back to 2022 Mm. when they have the offensive issues, you know, and then with the loss of Denver Bryant and Briellis in the transfer portal, uh, doesn't look as though at least so far that those, the, the production from those two players has been replaced. So we'll keep an eye on Auburn. We will keep an eye on Auburn moving forward. Missouri, our first guest ever on this pod was Larissa Anderson. Uh, they were unbeaten until this past weekend where they dropped uh, one-run ball games to San Diego State and Baylor. Hard to be mad about a one-run loss to high-quality teams like the Aztecs and the Bears. Maybe one area of concern, though, is that they're kind of doing what they did last year in that the team batting average is sitting at 290. Jenna Laird and Alex Honnold are both hitting over 400. They're both spectacular and they're playing like it. But then you just have two others who are above the line on the SEC stats page or get in action who are hitting better than 300. I, you don't want to get into the scenario that Missouri was in last year where it was truly, all right, Laird and Honnold, y'all have to generate most of the offense. Yeah, they, you know, you have to have more consistent production up and down the lineup than those two. Um, you know, they're, I think they're very good in the circle, uh, but I'm not sure if they're the, in the circle, they are elite to the point of like, say, Matty Penta. If you're Auburn, you know, the, the offense isn't really producing, but you still have Matty Penta. Lauren Krings is very good. I don't know if she's elite. So that that's kind of the question mark you have there. Yeah. Sierra Harrison's been pitching well. Also, but I mean, again, we'll continue to monitor things with Missouri. I wanted to flash a comment from one of our loyal viewers slash listeners, Fang Nye. Good evening, Tom and Gray. I thought Mississippi State played well at Mary Nutter, but they've got to eliminate the head-scratching loss on getaway day. Yes, the Bulldogs go to California, hang with OU for a bit, but then in the finale, lose to Fresno State. Shout out to our friend Taylor Gilmore, who came on and got the save. That's now two straight weekends where Florida, or I should say where Mississippi State, lost the final game of their event. Last weekend, it was UC Davis down in Mexico. That has been something that has been noted the last few years. You know, Mississippi State has had trouble wrapping up events in the past, and that's kind of where they picked up some of their head-scratching losses, a uh, head-scratching loss uh, being used here by Fang Nye in the comment. Fresno is a solid team. Yeah. Um, UC Davis is a solid Big West team. But that being said, you know, it, this is going to be a complex profile, I think, looking ahead for the NCAA tournament committee. Mississippi State's going to have good wins, but there are also going to be some losses that might drag down some of the metrics. Yeah. And, you know, when you're getting into uh, conference play, again, we're only, we have one more non conference weekend and we're into conference play. So, you know, you can't just, if you're Mississippi State, you can't just say, well, we're going to lose every Sunday in the conference because that will end up not working out very <laughs> That's well. That's not you. a good plan. No, th- I disagree with that that outlook. So, uh, yeah, find you have to find a way to finish this off. And I, I'm not sure, one, I'm not sure what the issue is, so I'm not sure 
how to address it. And I'm sure that's something Samantha Ricketts is looking at. Yeah, that's not an on the field thing. That is something that they will have to work on. I'm not going to uh, yeah. speculate about stuff like that or why that might be a problem. Maybe it's not even a problem. Maybe it's just bad luck. Who's to say? Yeah. I mean, the team batting average is good at 340. It has gone down from best in the league. Team ERA is very solid at 174. And like I said, they played OU tough. Like that was an impressive showing. They, they kind of lost some steam as the game went on. But, you know, the Bulldogs were not phased by facing the big bad Sooners. Yeah, they weren't like they weren't overmatched. They didn't lose the game before it ever started type situation. They were right there, um, had the lead early on in that ball game. Uh, before OU kind of got things rolling there offensively. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, when you, when you're Mississippi State, if you're playing Oklahoma, you don't get run ruled and you score runs. It's kind of a success Uh, outside. Obviously you want to win every game you play. South Carolina lost to South Alabama, but you know, got through the weekend kind of doing what South Carolina has been doing all year. 299 team batting average. Riley Blampede continues to swing it pretty well. Average tri- dipped a bit, but you know, that happens. The ERA for the whole squad is at 173. Vauder leads the team in innings, 183 ERA. The freshman Marjetko, 30 innings, just four and a third behind Vauder. Her ERA is 233. Jory Hurd, had a nice weekend in the circle for South Carolina, but I still feel like I don't really know what they are yet. If I'm just being honest, like yeah. the ceiling is the ceiling. I don't feel like they're remotely close to that as of yet. They can get there, but as of right now, I haven't seen it. And Vodder herself. Um, I mean, that's a good ERA at 183, but you know, for somebody like me who picked South Carolina to finish second in the league, I, I, I thought Botter was going to have like a 0.83 ERA at this point in the season. For the people that didn't know that, that missed the out-of-the-box season six premiere, there you go. That was Tom's like big, bold yes. prediction. I'm, I'm a noted uh, believer in South Carolina for years back. Yes, that is a deep cut. And shout out <laughs> to the listeners who know what the heck we're talking about. So last week there was a shot that the SEC would get everybody ranked that – opportunity missed particularly honestly because Auburn lost but also because Ole Miss was unable to convert on their chances to beat Clemson they had two cracks at the Tigers and were held to one run each time they lost 6-1 and 9-1 I I think Ole Miss is kind of what what we thought they would be they've done a great job of avoiding the bad loss for the most part BYU has looked pretty solid this year and so now your three losses are to a big 12 team and twice to top 10 Clemson there's nothing bad about it. I just, you know, I, I look at Ole Miss and I, I still wonder how high the ceiling is based off of what we've seen so far. I think, though, if you told Jamie Traxel, you know, before the season started, after week three, you'd have three losses and there to BYU and Clemson. I think she'd probably take it. Yeah. Uh, it's just, yeah, that they've avoided a bad loss. Um, they still have room to improve and get better. Uh, but we may, this kind of may just be what Ole Miss is. They're not going to lose necessarily uh, games that they shouldn't, but it's going to be hard for them to beat teams that are that are ranked higher. Jayla Lasseter continues to be impressive with Jaden Pone up at the top of the order. They're both hitting above 425. The team ERA is a little concerning at 259. McKinnically Thermos has kind of emerged as the ace. You know, 231 ERA, she leads the team in innings by 11, but we'll see where that number goes as the season goes on because, you know, normally the team ERA does not improve significantly in conference play. So we'll see. 
Yeah. Although it is a, a big week for the Rebels as they open up their new softball stadium or the that's, newly renovated softball stadium. That's true with things pointing different directions. Yes. I wonder. A little larger press box just for us. We're about to make the same exact joke. <laughs> so the Florida Gators, they are just destroying everything in their path as long as it's a mid major. Uh, they just crushed everyone last weekend. They poor, now, poor Colgate. Oh, man. Uh, it's just. <laughs> Uh, Oklahoma State did beat them a week ago tonight, but I mean, this is this is Florida just just absolutely working all these teams that they're playing. The Power Five games are complex, and we'll dive into that a little bit later. I've got a stat before they go out to Judy Garman, but I mean, right now it's it's very impressive the the figures that Florida is putting up. You could be playing air, and some of these batting averages would still be ridiculous. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing, you know, when people bring up shrink the schedule or, or you know competition for a lot of these teams, yeah, but you know it's you still have to put up the numbers, you still have to get the hits, you still have to do you know get the strikeouts, and you know Florida is able to do that, but yeah, they're going to have to address what the issue is and why they can't do it against some of the better teams. Yeah, bang nine, this is an excellent point. Florida, Alabama, first series of SEC play will be a good test for both teams. Very excited for that one. That's going to be a blast. And Tom, it is uh, less than two weeks away. <laughs> yes. I don't know if we've made that point. We are playing conference softball. This time next week, we will be previewing the first week of conference softball. Let's move on. <laughs> Kentucky <laughs> swept who they played. Yes. I, I really don't have a time. I, I didn't get a chance really to get eyes on the Wildcats. I'm going to go back and and watch if I can try and see what I can find online. They had a couple, you know, gasp. Wait, what's the score moments against Akron? But otherwise it was, it was fairly straightforward. And Aaron Koffel has now seemingly uh, gotten into that comfortable spot as a 370 and above hitter. And I, that batting average probably will not dip below 370 again this year. Yeah, that, that was really the main question mark offensively was that Koffel's numbers weren't just out of the ballpark to start things off with, but she's bringing those up. And then, you know, Stephanie Schoonover in the circle just continues uh, to show she may be an elite pitcher in this league. And it's a good sign for Rachel Lawson that, you know, Schoonover and Jaden Vickers have the same number of innings pitched so far. So they haven't had to ride or rely on Stephanie Schoonover as much as you know, maybe they had to last year before she got hurt. Right. That's that. That's the thing. You need to have Schoonover and then have that number two that can take some of the load off her, so she's not having to pitch two and a half, three games every weekend. The final team we will discuss is the Alabama Crimson Tide. If you want the full breakdown, listen to the Out of the Box podcast as we are live here on this Monday. You can hear it on Tuesday morning wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we do a full deep dive of what was a very explosive weekend in Birmingham from the offense. And now you've got an Alabama squad that has some big matchups coming up that we'll cover in just a bit, but has to be feeling as confident offensively as maybe they felt in two years. Yeah, it, it was a extremely explosive weekend in the green and gold classic in Birmingham hosted by UAB uh, getting three run rule wins and four for the week for the entire week. If you count the UNI or excuse me, the UNA game, on Wednesday before that, when North Alabama came to Tuscaloosa. Um, and that's something that we don't see a lot from Alabama. You know, even some of the, the, 
uh, national championship bleeds, you know, the SEC championship years, Alabama doesn't just go and just destroy people on a weekend. They'll, they'll win all the games, but there's a lot closer. Uh, it's rare to see Alabama just, you know, hit a, have a home run derby type barrage like they had, especially on Sunday. And to do that on a Sunday after the week before where the offense was, was kind of listless yeah. uh, in, in some wins, I think was, was really telling and, and shows that Alabama, uh, you know, kind of taking off with that more process oriented approach to their hitting. Andy Pride has a comment. Does strength of schedule hurt Bama right now? I think right now, yeah, you haven't had the chance to play the marquee names. Uh, what's interesting about this, and we'll dive more into it next week, by this time we should have the first official RPI and the nitty-gritties and all the data that I will pour over just for hours on hours on hours. And uh, I, I think it'll be interesting to see the kind of impact that in particular the two Arizonas and two South Alabama games have on that resume and what that does. Uh, that being said, last year the committee kind of didn't necessarily ignore non-conference strength of schedule, but it was not one of the main criteria that we saw mentioned. Um, maybe maybe Tennessee would have been a three if that non-con SOS was a little better. Maybe, uh, you know, Clemson, that was one thing that hurt them, but there were also a couple other factors as well. But again, we'll, we'll see. We'll have to wait and see what the metrics actually look like. Yeah, and I mean, if you're talking about for ranking right now as we record on February 26th, yeah, strength of schedule is why Alabama at undefeated right now is more of a fringe top 10 team than, you know, in the top five. Uh, but I don't know if it'll necessarily hurt Alabama, you know, in April or May. Right. Uh, because the the conference, you know, Alabama does have a, a big non-conference weekend this weekend, taking on Arizona and South Alabama. But also the conference itself is certainly going to take care of that SOS. Yeah, and Alabama's got one of the toughest conference yes. slates that you can imagine. One more Alabama question. I'm sorry. Haley asks, do you think Marley Giles made a good case for the starting catcher job or at least the DP spot? I think she's in the lineup until she gives you a reason to take her out based off of yeah. what we've seen the last few games. Yeah, between either being catcher or DP, Marley, I think, is is in that starting nine. Uh, if she is the catcher, now it goes to, well, who is going to be that, that DP spot? Does that go to Riley Valentine? Kendall Clark, Emma Broadfoot. There are several possible options, depending on not just who's the catcher, but also who's getting the start in the outfield. Yes. Oh, man. So fun. Uh, so many good is... players. I enjoy it. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. It is time to steal second. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury, and Tom, the Arizona Wildcats are coming to town this weekend. They are. Yes, very excited. Always a blast. Anytime the Tide and Zona get together. And they're going to be in T-Town this weekend, so we figured let's reach across the aisle and chat with someone who knows the Wildcats better than anybody. The All-American from Arizona, you have heard her voice on ESPN, Pac-12 Network, RIP, and so many other places <laughs> covering college softball. It's Kinsey Fowler-Quinn. Kinsey, good to see you. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, RIP, not yet. I still have a couple of games um, on my schedule with the Pac-12 Network and you know, calling like Arizona, Arizona State is on my schedule schedule already. So RIP, not yet, um, but it's one last hoorah for sure. Are y'all going to do like a celebratory cake and stuff for that final broadcast to like honor what you've done? <laughs> yeah, I feel like we should. I, I know it's going to be interesting. I mean, baseball will probably have the like final, final broadcast, you know, so it's kind of interesting being a spring sport because I feel like a lot of fans have kind of already like, you know, done the the celebratory, like, thank you, let's move on type of feeling because you have football, basketball is going to be, you know, entering March Madness here in a second. So they're nearing the end, but being a spring sport, we're like, no, no, not yet. We still have a very competitive season around the corner and these teams are really good. They're probably going to make the World Series. So please pay attention. This is the last ride. It's going to be great. We have a conference tournament now. Right. Keep watching. Yeah. We, we are just now getting the conference tournament. <laughs> Last year was a huge hit. We're going to do it again. Oh. Back by popular demand for one more go. Oh, man. <laughs> well, Arizona figures to be in the conversation for a lot of what you just discussed. And I want to first, of course, talk about the Wildcats because last year was like one of those you never see years where Arizona did not make the NCAA tournament. We've talked to coaches on media days who discuss the mentality shift that occurs when that happens. What difference have you seen in Arizona this year after dealing with that disappointment? Yeah, you know, I can't speak for the team, um, but I can tell you what I see. And what I see is um, a veteran core of the team is back. And this core has been to the women's college world series a couple of times. So they know what it takes to get there. And of course, Coach Lowe got there in her first year. And I feel like there's a very just matter of fact about the whole ordeal. And I don't feel like they're making it bigger than it needs to be because it feels huge, right, to us in the media. We're like, that's a team that we just expect them to be in that bracket every single year. And um, so not seeing them last year felt huge. I don't feel like um, the program and the team has made it you know, be that big and as big as it needs to be. So I feel like there's still um, that that business and um, the expectations of where they want to be for a program like Arizona. And I think it all starts with the core group, the senior class. You know, they've been to the World Series a couple of times. 
Offense has taken a huge jump this year. Team batting average at 387. Uh, Carly Scoopin, RBIs every time she's up at the plate. Uh, what has been the big difference in the Wildcat bats from last year to this year? You know, it's really interesting. Their roster is small. Um, and they have four players right now that are injured. So smaller, you know, in that aspect. But I feel like when you have a small roster like this, it gives repetition to players. And so you get in groups that sometimes it's really hard. You might have an incredibly talented roster, but if you're sharing at bats and you're sharing those double headers, you maybe not, you don't get in the groove as much as, as you can. And um, it's kind of like one of those things where you kind of look to your left and you look to your right. And you're like, okay, this spot is mine and I'm just going to take it and go. And you don't really feel that pressure of somebody competing with you. Um, so they're a small roster, but they're mighty. And it's a really good mix of power. We, we know they're going to bring power every single year. Arizona can hit the long ball, but they have more speed this year, which is really exciting. Um, I'm on the, I'm on the train to get Carly Scoopin an all American. Finally, she has not been an all American in her career. I think last year she might've gotten there if she hadn't have gotten injured, um, and broke her wrist in the middle of the season. So I'm really hoping that she stays on the trends that she is right now with seven home runs leading the pack. She looks good. Um, and Reagan Shockey, a freshman who's going to be at the top of the lineup. Anytime a coach writes in the lineup and puts a freshman at the top, you know that it's a statement because that's a gamble that they're taking for her to pan out. She's back-to-back Pac-12 freshman of the week. It just came out a couple of minutes ago. Um, Kayla Burrow is going to love her. Um, or maybe hate her or hate her. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, maybe hate her. But she's she's that type of tap and go, um, bunt and go. She's gonna play with the offense. Um, she's incredibly fast. She just has she just is gifted with her barrel control. Um, so yeah, she's very uh Caleb Bro-esque in that way. Yeah. As I was prepping for this weekend, Kaylee Town and I are doing the broadcasts, and nice. I, I was I was struck by some of the batting averages in the last five games. I'm just going to read some numbers. Uh, 412, 579, 643, 565. That was shocky. Uh, that does not include the sixth game of the tournament, but I do last five games oh. because I'm a psycho. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are truly filthy numbers. Yeah, um, Dakota Kennedy, she's um, a sophomore. She bats in the top of the lineup. She's fun to watch. She has speed. She hits for power. And then Olivia DiNardo, another lefty who hits um, behind scoop in, she has a ton of home run power as well, another sophomore. So it's it's an interesting lineup. Um, you have a lot of, you still have Allie Skaggs. She's in there. She's still here, you know, an All-American that's in the middle of the lineup. So you have the veterans, you have the freshmen, um, you have the speed that maybe wasn't there a year last year or a year, year two ago. Um, so it's a nice mix and it's been fun to watch them to open the season. Your thoughts on the uh, Arizona pitching staff uh, losing Ryan Maddox before a game was ever played, uh, but the, the rest of the staff has done a heck of a job already here this season. Yeah, you know, before the season, you know, sitting here going, man, this is going to be the deepest staff Arizona's ever had. I'm excited to watch who's going to get the ball. They have seven arms or something like that. Like, wow, how great is this? When has Arizona ever had this kind of depth? And then three of those arms are currently injured. So um, with Ryan Maddox being out for the season. Literally, I think it was like the week of um, opening opening week she got injured. I think it was uh, like that Tuesday. I think we were recording a podcast yeah. when that dropped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so was not expected at all. It happened out of nowhere. 
Um, and everyone had said she was pitching really good in, in January. So it was a huge blow to them. But um, again, like what I was saying earlier, and I remember this kind of like being back in my day when you didn't have a deep staff, sometimes in a weird way, mentally, it kind of flips a switch. Like, Hey, there's no one in the bullpen. You better go and finish this game. Like it's you. Um, and so it's, it's definitely condensed um, who they have in the circle. And right now it's Aisa Silva, Silva and Miranda Stoddard, a Kentucky transfer coming over from the SEC who are doing the majority of the work. And it's kind of ace one, ace two right now. Um, they're completely different. One's a righty, one's a lefty. They both throw hard, one's up, one's down. Um, both have good off speeds, which is um, an improved pitch for Aisa this year. I'm very excited for that, to see that from her. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a thin staff. Didn't think it was going to be that way, but um, they've they've been clutch. You know, Aisa threw ten innings against Indiana in a game that just would not end, and you know that that's a fight that you got to see. That's a performance that you got to have on the resume, and like for Coach Lowe to see that out of her in a sophomore, knowing that you know even though you're giving up a couple of runs here and there, you're still going to stay in there and try and get the clutch out and keep that runner at second base um, in extra innings. So. Yeah, they've been doing a nice job and um, you have the run support, you know, that's always nice for a pitching staff that maybe needs it. And how nice to to be able to scoop up Miranda Stoddard, because when yeah. she when I heard she wasn't taking her final year at Kentucky, I was like, oh, OK, all right, well, congrats on a yeah, great career. Right. And then suddenly, you know, a year later, she's right. transferring to Arizona. And now with the injuries you just talked about, I mean, how lucky that the timing worked out that way. And she was a kind of a late ad and there wasn't really a lot known. Like you're talking about, there was not a lot of chatter about her, like being in the portal or anything. And all of a sudden she popped up on the social media and was like official, we've added an arm and, and here she comes from the SEC. And so all the Arizona fans are like, wait, what, who is this doing some research and stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I remember watching out, going out there and watching in the fall and um, you know, even though I went out in January and you could tell that it was a little bit, slow developing for her I feel like she didn't come into Arizona like okay I'm ready to go she came in and was like okay I need to get back it back at this and kind of get the get the wheels turning again but um talking to coach Conrad the pitching coach he was really excited about where she had started and where she had ended up and just like her progress from um when she came on campus to now and you know like I said earlier it's ace one ace two so if you want to call her the ace you can uh, if you want to call Aisa the ace you can but uh she looks good she looks confident she throws hard you know she pushes high 60s and has a nice change one thing for Arizona you you get to host a lot of tournaments early on uh what what type of statement can the Wildcats make going on the road to Tuscaloosa against teams the caliber of Alabama, South Alabama, and you and I? Yeah, I don't know if Arizona historically has ever stayed at home this long in the season. I know we didn't when I played. We'd always, you know, go to Mary Nutter or we'd go to the Kajikawa. Um, last year they went to Clearwater. So home for three straight weeks, it's very rare. Of course, it's like cozy and nice and um, you know, you feel good and getting to sleep in your bed. So I think you need a challenge, right? It's like, okay, we're going to get some things and face some adversity before we go into conference. And this is a, a daunting road trip that they're taking. They're um, coming to Tuscaloosa for the tournament, and then they're going to Kentucky to face Louisville and maybe Kentucky or somebody else in Louisville. And then from there, they're going to Corvallis to open up Pac-12. So you, is that you a direct about, flight? 
Literally, yeah, yeah. Let's go straight from Louisville to um, which will be a normal flight, I'm sure, for somewhere, someone in the ACC or someone in the Big Ten come whatever next year. But um, yeah, so you kind of it's like a 50 50 you stay home for a month and then you're like on the road for forever. So this will be a good start to a long road trip. But uh, statement that's I think just coming out and, and competing. Um, you never know what you're going to get when you have two ranked teams, hostile environment, um, especially teams that are familiar, you know, it's like, it's not like they've never played each other before. It's not like there's not history and, you know, Arizona's come to Alabama before Alabama has been to Tucson before. So um, I think there's a lot of knowing what's going to be expected and then just going in and doing it. So um, I'm, I'm expected to see the returners be about their business, but I'm excited to see the challenge for, the freshmen and then even like the pitchers in the circle Aisa she's she's a sophomore who enrolled early so she's still like 18 years old and so you know anytime you get this type of you know adversity challenge on your resume I'm like okay I'm gonna tune in like what you got for me so mm. yeah it'll be a good challenge for sure Kenzie Fowler Quinn is our guest let's talk about the rest of the pack and we'll start with Stanford hard team to evaluate so they've got four losses but they have the best pitcher in the country, Nigel Kennedy, yeah. like un- unquestioned. Yeah. But the offense has been up and down. They had the one great power day in Clearwater, and otherwise it's kind of been shaky. Everybody had a great power day in Clearwater. That's true. And pitching behind Nigel has been also fairly inconsistent. I'm not going to lie. As I was looking at the stats and thinking about Stanford, I thought a lot about how people were talking about Alabama last year, the same way that I feel like right now we're talking about Stanford Ooh, with Nigel. That's a good comparison. Okay. So that Alabama team made the world series, but yeah. dipped out 0 and 2. What, what do you feel like is the ceiling for the Cardinal this year? I mean, definitely world series and and getting to the championship game. You have an arm like Nigel. You can, you can test Oklahoma. You just can't. She's that good. Um, generational talent. Uh, defense has not looked good, so um, not going to judge a team in February in any aspect. Like their season is a long season for a reason. You can you can be a completely different team in May than who you are in February, for better or for worse. Um, but the defense needs to clean up because they don't have the offense where they have the luxury of giving up defensive errors and throwing the ball around and missing ground balls. Um, so they've got a little pressure there because the offense hasn't had this crazy overhaul um, from a season ago. So we're not expecting them to run rule teams. We're expecting them to beat Texas four to three and three to two and two to one, like we saw all season last year. Um, So the defense has got to clean up. I think that's something that's doable. Um, I'm sure it's just, you know, maybe some jitters, got some freshmen in the infield, moving some people around. Um, But it's going to be interesting because, um, there's no, no more Elena Votter, right? So they were so good last year because you had the best pitcher in the country that nobody knew about because she was hurt for half the year in the middle of the Pac-12. So nobody knew about her going into the postseason tournament. And all, all of a sudden, here she comes, and everyone's like, holy crap. Um, but Elena Votter had been carrying the load for the majority of the season and, you know, an all-American pitcher. She transfers to South Carolina, and I think she leads them in inning, so she's still doing her thing. Um but you have Reagan Krause, who's a senior reliable arm, but it's, you know, it's, it's just not the same. So Nigel's going to carry more innings. 
what does that mean for her? How do you manage that? It's going to be her first season of like really being like, you're the girl, you're going to get all the innings. You get a full Friday and a full Sunday. We're going to figure it out on Saturday. You know, that's the storyline. How does she, how does she handle that? How does coach Alistair make sure that she's feeling her best come May? You don't want to wear out a pitcher like her that throws like 75 miles an hour as a power pitcher myself. Like I, you know, you have to, there's a different management load that goes into, into it. Uh, pitchers like Kat Osterman maybe can throw a little bit longer because you're throwing at 60%, but your ball's moving, you know, from shoulders to knees. So it's just different. Um, but it's all storylines that I'm just like really itching to watch unfold because they are such a fascinating program. And, you know, you have a player on your team that could be the face of softball for the next two, three years. Through three weeks of the season, it seems as though Washington, Arizona, and Stanford have kind of separated themselves at the top of the conference. Do you foresee that maybe continuing all season long or somebody not one of those three, do you think that can get back to the top of this league? I think before the season started, if you would have asked me, I would just point to Stanford and Washington because they returned the two best arms in Nigel Kennedy and Ruby Malin. Um, it's kind of interesting because they're both freshmen and, you know, we're going to get get to watch them, you know, not the Pac-12, but get to watch them with their teams for the next uh, two and a half years. I could say this year is halfway over, but it's not. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think teams like Arizona, I think teams like Cal started this season and are surprising people. Um, you look at the conference right now and you think of like Utah, who was at the Women's College World Series a season ago, UCLA um, did not make the World Series, but we're ranked in the top five all year long. Um, and even Oregon, a, a team that was in the top 25 almost all season long. Those teams have kind of interesting records um, because I think they've started non-conference very tough, playing tough schedules. So I don't think that those records reflect the caliber of those teams. You look at who's on those teams and the talent is stacked. Those are three teams that could make the World Series. And right now you're like, oh, they're sitting in the middle of the Pac-12. That's weird. Um, but, you know, we're in February, so there's still a lot of things to happen. Um, but, yeah, I think the obvious ones are Washington and Stanford because this is a pitching game and they have the two best arms in the, in the well, in the country, but also the conference. Well, when you mentioned UCLA, just what a what a weird, weird February for the Bruins. Seven and five. Uh, they are popping back in polls after beating Tennessee this past weekend. We were texting a little bit earlier today. The offense, fine. No concern. Pitching is statistically as iffy as maybe it's ever been, but certainly in the last decade. And the defense has been bad. I'm just going to be honest. It's been bad. So so what's the fix? I mean, you just said we're not judging teams for February. I agree. If we did that a couple of years ago, then we would have all written off Texas and maybe we did. And they were in the champ series, but how does UCLA turn this around? Yes. They've won some of the big games, but it's, it's still been shaky. You know, I wonder if their offense felt pressure opening weekend and the second weekend as well, because you know what you graduated, you graduated Megan Framo, you graduated Brookie Honest. They were the one-two punch, two All-Americans in the circle. And then you also graduated Lauren Shaw, who was kind of their reliable mop-up innings girl. Like, hey, if we're ahead, you're going to throw you in. You're going to do fine. Or, you know, maybe surprise us with an appearance here and there. So you're graduating your top three arms. 
Uh, Taylor Tinsley returned. She's a sophomore, but kind of unproven. Uh, a big recruit, but again, unproven. Um, bringing a freshman in Caitlin Terry, a lefty. And then, who am I forgetting? Oh, they're transferred from uh, UC San Diego and Jada Cecil. So another, you know, unproven arm. I, You know, she was the big West pitcher of the year, I believe, a couple of seasons ago. But again, it's just a different level. Um, so I wonder if their offense was feeling it because that can happen sometimes. Like, you know what you have, you see it all season long, you're scrimmaging each other and you know what your team looks like. Um, and then you go up there and you're like, we got to put up a lot of runs because our pitchers need a month to kind of figure it out and, you know, find themselves and who's going to be the ace, who's going to take the innings. And sometimes hitters get tight. Um, and it can happen the opposite way for pitchers too. Like if you know that you don't have the off offensive support, you can get a little tight in the circle. Like I can't, I don't have the luxury to give up a home run here. And then all of a sudden it spirals in the wrong way. So I kind of am thinking that's what's been happening because that's a huge shakeup. Like Megan Framo is a hu huge loss, a huge loss. Not only what she can do in the circle, but I just feel like she was UCLA, right? You think of UCLA, you think of her heart, her her fist bump and her foot stomp and her emotion. And so that's, that's a heavy, you know, graduation. Um, but you just look at, I was looking at their roster this weekend and I was just like, what's going on with this team? And I'm like, Nope, she's back. Nope. She's back. Nope. She's back. She's still there. Okay. This team is stacked. This team is stacked. Why are they losing? Um, and I think it's just, it's, it's going to take a minute in the circle to figure out who's the ace and what does the future look like going forward? Outside of the Pac-12, uh, what teams have really uh, impressed you so far? Um, you know, this fall I called Texas um, Texas Tech in a fall game that was sold out. It was so much fun on the Longhorn Network. And um, it was like a one-run ball game until the end. And then Texas A&M tied it with a home run. And they ended in a tie. And I was like, you guys, come on. We're going to end Figure it out. <laughs> I know. I was like, this is too good of a game. Yeah. So it was like... You know, I think it was one of those things where maybe the, the programs were like, you guys are lucky we're even doing this. So we're just going to end it neutral and, <laughs> and make everybody happy. And so that way we do it again in the future and nobody's mad. Um, but it was such a good ball game. And I think, you know, the state of Texas right now, obviously Texas is they can hit decently um, and mm -hmm. they have solid arms in the circle. Um, Texas A&M, I think Emily Kennedy. I mean, we've all watched her the last couple of seasons just what what she could be she throws so hard can she keep putting it together and you know is this the year tbd um looks like it so far so um like i said it's a pitching game and you have a horse that can throw 70 from the left side well that's pretty good so um keep my eye on them and then just this weekend i watched uh indiana come into tucson and indiana is good very good and so it got me thinking about the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten is going to be a fascinating watch in terms of conference. Uh, I think there's a lot of fun storylines there with Northwestern graduating almost everybody last year. Danielle Williams is finally gone. What do they look like in the new era without their veterans? Um, they bring in Ashley Miller, another transfer from the Big Ten. So that's kind of interesting. And then Nebraska losing Jordy Ball literally like the first inning she threw, which was devastating for them. That just alters the entire um, state of the Big Ten. And like Indiana's good. They're really good. They have Brianna Copeland. She's a two-way player, pitches, hits in the two-hole, his home runs. They were fast, hitting like for power, hitting for average. They were just a well-coached team. Um, I had to suffer and watch them play Arizona for 14 innings, which was <laughs> wild. 
Um, it was it was one of those games where like neither team they would just score one. We're like, okay, we'll we'll score one, and then we'll score two. No, we'll score two. Um, so it was fun to watch the fight from both sides, and uh, I'm excited to watch them as they develop. And um, I think they've they've played some good teams this season. So keep an eye on Indiana. Well, we hope that you'll add Alabama and perhaps maybe a couple of the yeah. other teams to the list this weekend because it's a stacked field. And oh, Kenzie yeah. Fowler, Quinn, we're very excited to see you in Tuscaloosa this weekend. I am so excited. I have never been. So I'm very excited. My sister has been there. My sister's played there when she was with Nebraska. Um, so she's told me all about it and I got to watch her, but I didn't I didn't get to be there in person. So this will be my first trip. I'm very excited. Well, we'll treat you to some good lunch or something at some point. I don't know. Tournament schedules are weird, so we'll I do know. our best, but we'll I see. Know. We'll we'll get a, a tour and I'll see where you guys, you know, work your magic in the press box. Cause, you know, <laughs> this, is the press box named after you guys or anything? Do you guys have? Uh, like, no, unfortunately not yet. If it was, okay. then we would have remodeled it long ago. <laughs> okay. But I've, you'll heard see. About, I've heard about the remodel project that we're just like, speaking into existence for alabama so after yeah. i after i'm there I'll, I'll jump on the train sounds good consider it done kenzie fowler <laughs> quinn joining us as we steal second kenzie good to see you we'll see you in a few days thanks for joining thanks us for having me so that was kenzie fowler quinn our dear friend from arizona your first time meeting kenzie it was yes, yes. and it was not her first time on the pod it's true but i wasn't here when she did her last interview with there was like a time i think that was last year i don't know it all runs together i'm yeah. fairly certain it was last year where there was like there were three weeks where just for whatever reason there was a complication and it was just me with i think it was francesca right. and with kenzie and i'm glad that we got to get both of you in a studio together yes and hopefully we'll be able to have some fun here this weekend when they come down. Maybe we'll crank out some content. Yeah, might as well. I don't know. We have like a hundred pods we got to get audio for. Which one will we choose? <laughs> maybe this is if I can figure out how to do a space. Maybe we'll do that. I don't know. Who knows? You know, the content will not be running dry across college softball this weekend, Tom. A lot, a lot of big matchups as people wrap up the pre-conference schedule for the most part oh, crazy and start it in some areas no the acc is not doing like that thing they did after covid where they had no. like the the quad or the triangle <laughs> the, the hexagon <laughs> right the trapezoid like this is all let's send five teams to one place they're not doing that anymore no they're not good. it's just a regular weekend it's a regular ass office <laughs> exactly right okay sounds good <laughs> Okay, let's round third. When we come back, we'll it's talk, already off the rails. We'll talk about a regular ass softball weekend here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. We're rounding third. Gray and Tom. Tom, it's time to look at the biggest games of this week across the wonderful sport of college softball. And it starts Wednesday with some bangers. Clemson at Georgia. Texas at Texas State. Texas State on my radar for the ranking. They did not make the poll this week, but they were on my long list. Uh, Clemson, Georgia, this is a top 10. And if Clemson hadn't messed around a couple weekends ago, maybe top five matchup. Like this is this is elite Wednesday material. Yeah, a legit uh, big time matchup in Athens. And Texas State just came off of beating somebody. Who, who was it that they beat here this past weekend? Well, they went undefeated. They beat Arizona State in Tempe, killed them. They beat Texas Tech last week. They beat Ohio State, which, sure, they shut out Grand Canyon. That's impressive. Grand Canyon 
shellacked Virginia Tech a while ago. Right. So, you know, Texas State is no slouch. They also beat Texas last year. Jessica Mullins is a very, very capable pitcher, capable of greatness at literally the drop of a hat. I'm not going to say Texas State's going to win this game, but would I be surprised? Maybe mildly. Right. You'd be surprised, but not shocked. Right. Yeah. Thursday, a couple major games of a Judy Garman, Texas A&M and Michigan. See if Michigan can figure some things out after kind of a weird weekend last time out. And Florida Fullerton, a revenge battle after the Titans just wrecked them last year. Titans will do that from time to time. Yeah, walked them off. Watch out for those elephant mascot teams. It's, it's weird. I rem- I'll never forget watching the highlight of that Fullerton walk-off. I saw Kendra Falby in center field. The center fielder watched the ball. Yeah. We assume it was the ball. We never saw it. I was told it left the yard, and that's how Fullerton won. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. That's the only angle we got. Yeah, indeed. Shout out to our friends at Flow. All right, we're going to pick one each for the weekend. You know, if you want to pick an ACC series, you can use that time on whatever day to talk about it. Tom, I'll let you go first on Friday. I'm going to go with Kentucky at Charlotte. Ooh. Yeah, no, we we discussed Kentucky a little bit already, but, you know, a Charlotte team that got that win over Florida State opening night, and then after that, you know, they've they've been good, but kind of up and down at times. But getting Kentucky at home, this could be a big statement win for the 49ers if they're able to get it, and the Wildcats, frankly, need to have a good statement win after, you know, a a weekend where, you know, they they beat who they played, but we'll see as they ramp up competition here. San Diego State at LSU. The Aztecs have already beaten Missouri. They're a a crafty team with Mac Barbara showing the power. Mountain West Pitcher of the Week, Allie Light in the circle. A fairly good staff. LSU undefeated, but we have seen them get tripped up a little bit by some Mountain West teams. Looking at you, Boise State, perhaps, perhaps a trap game, even in Baton Rouge. Uh, Saturday, Florida State plays both. Washington and Oregon and Eugene on Saturday. That is one, the trip on a plane to the Pacific Northwest from the Southeast is very daunting. Mm -hmm. That is a long trip. You think you're there and then you look and, oh my gosh, we got two more hours. We have two more flights. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, I mean, that, that is a tough trip to begin with. Playing two teams the caliber of Washington and Oregon. Washington, you know, a consensus top three, top four team. Uh, Oregon, they've struggled, but it's going to be a home game and a chance for them to kind of make a statement against a Florida State team that has, frankly, had had some issues here yeah. to start things off. So uh, this is an interesting game and has interesting couple games for all three teams involved. There is concern about weather I saw online. So hopefully that hopefully, is not yeah. an issue because this that's a great slate of games that Saturday. I'm going to circle Georgia Stanford. I hope this is the Nyjah game. That's why I'm picking it on Saturday night. Like, yes, the Georgia offense against the best pitcher in America. Fire me up in in. Let's go. I yeah. I don't even need to sell it. You did. It's I, done. Like, let's go. Yes. The Sunday matchup in Tuscaloosa between South Alabama and Arizona. People are forgetting about this one. Don't forget about that. Alabama Alabama will be done. Alabama does not play Sunday. I'm going to go watch the Zone of Interest at 1 o'clock in Birmingham if anyone would like to join because I have a Sunday off, Tom. I don't know what that is. It's a movie. You'll learn on our Oscars off okay. topic. I hope not. I don't want to know. I'm just going to I'm just gonna pick. <laughs> That's, That's what makes this going to be so much fun. 
I'm going to be You're going to be like, what's an Emma Stone? Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to be Come like on, Grandpa. Right. No. no, I'm going to be like that secretary that always wins and never watches basketball, but then always wins March Madness. <laughs> That's going to be me as I'm making my Oscar picks. But that being said, uh, while you're watching that film of some sort, South Alabama and Arizona is going to be a great softball game. And depending on what happens in the games against Alabama for both those teams, mm. it could be very vital for either one of them uh, to try to make it a positive end to, to the weekend. Yeah, I say I'll go watch Zen of Interest. I mean, maybe I'll stop by Rhodes. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> All right. My Sunday pick, I'm going with Louisiana at Oklahoma. This is a wrap on the opening weekend of Love's Field. In Norman, this is the first home weekend at the new stadium, the new park. They've got Liberty, down Liberty team. They've got Louisiana, down Louisiana team. Oh, you should run things. But this could be just a, a fun weekend of celebration for Sooners everywhere. And uh, they had such a great trip out to the Mary Nutter. This this feels like uh, the capper to what what should be a solidified number one spot ahead of conference play. It's amazing. You know, they I think they doubled their uh capacity in the new stadium uh from what there was at their old stadium in loves and the the most comments i saw online were it needs more needs new needs more seats mm. than that i mean they've doubled their capacity and people are still just clamoring for any seats that they can which is understandable with uh, the premier program and all of college softball yeah so that'll be fun to watch i'm excited to actually see i hope that if we get a chance to actually watch, they'll do a tour of some kind on the stream. And I would think so. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to take a look at the digs. I have questions about the scoreboard. You know, I don't I don't really. Are we cleaving meat? I mean, it. it that's Ooh, funny. So it looks like I just I have questions about what goes where on there. What what's on the handle? Is that a sponsorship? Is that the count? Is that the line score? What do you do with that? Hmm. And the weird edges around. Like it's a cool yeah. concept, but I, I need to see it in action. If you haven't seen it, it is basically the state of Oklahoma. Right. Is the scoreboard. But yeah, where does everything go? It, it's kind of it's along the same lines. If you've ever been to the Nashville Sounds and Nashville, the AAA team in Nashville, they have a good guitar as a guitar, a guitar Ooh. shaped a scoreboard. But yeah, I mean, and I want to say that the line score is in the handle of the of the guitar. So maybe that's what they do with the panhandle of Oklahoma. All right. That's all we got. It's good. Big, big games this weekend. Are you ready to pick some award winners? Always. This is probably as hard as it's ever been. Remember that time where we had Maggie Purdy at Eastern Kentucky go like 10 for 11 and challenge Sarah Willis, who'd thrown the first perfect game in UCF history? <laughs> it's kind of like that. Yes. Here are the nominees. If For what? You never, you never said what oh, we were sorry. picking. Sorry, we're picking the ACL Player of the Week. We're going to keep that in, <laughs> as well as me, me saying we're going to keep that in. <laughs> I want you all to keep me honest. <laughs> ACL Player of the Week, seven noms. Tom will pick two finalists. We'll pick a winner. Here are the nominees: Jay Beecham, Ooh. Florida State, ten of twenty, five RBIs, two homers, two doubles, a strikeout, seven runs scored. Sarah Coon, Virginia, 5 of 14, 6 RBIs, a homer, 2 doubles, a walk, a strikeout, 3 runs scored. Had the walk-off RBI single in the ninth to beat Iowa State 1-0. to zero. Tiffany Domingue, it appears, according really? to the Georgia Tech okay. notes. That's not what Tiffany told me. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but we're going to go with the game notes because I assume they asked Tiffany as I well. Yeah. Maybe it adjusted. 
Tiffany, if you want to DM me so we can just clear this up. Does she know how to pronounce Alabama? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, most people do. <laughs> right. You would think. You would think. Uh, but Tiffany at Georgia Tech, 10 of 20, eight RBIs, two homers, a triple, two doubles, six walks, two strikeouts, and nine runs scored against Army. Three for three with five RBIs, a homer, a triple, a double, two runs scored, a single short of the cycle, which I've been told is the easy one. I was going to say, she got all the hard ones. Man. Man. Michaela Timmons, Ball State, nine of 17, 12 RBIs, five home runs, a double, two strikeouts, and eight runs scored against Georgia State at the game-winning Grand Slam in the top of the ninth. They held on. To win 9-5. Oh. Shannon Cunningham, Arizona State, 7 of 23, 8 RBIs, 2 homers, 5 strikeouts, 3 runs scored, had the walk-off Grand Slam in the 8th to beat Idaho State 5-1. to one. Brooklyn Maxwell, UNC Greensboro, 9 of 20, 4 RBIs, 2 homers, a triple, 2 doubles, 4 walks, 3 strikeouts, 8 runs scored, Jenna Johnson-esque OBP and batting average for the leadoff for UNCG, and finally, Tori Hedgecock, Mercer. 5 of 16, 11 RBIs, 4 homers, 6 walks, 2 strikeouts, 4 runs scored, against Moorhead State, walk-off solo homer in the 7th to win 4-3. And against Bryant, after a dropped pop-up by the third baseman. Oh, no. Next, batter reaches, and then Tori Hedgecock, a walk-off 3-run homer to win it 5-3. That's the ultimate points off turnovers there. That's that's win off turnover. Wow. Buddy. Oh man. Goodness gracious. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's this is very difficult to pick a final two because you could pick any of these as the winners and and you'd be doing really well. Uh, I'm going to say walk off homers are the tiebreakers in today's finalists. So we'll go with Shannon Cunningham from Arizona State and Tori Hedgecock from Mercer. We're going to go with Tori Hedgecock from Mercer. De Beers. Wow. Do you know how ridiculous it is that we just picked two finalists that did not include someone who had five home runs this week and 12 RBIs? <laughs> and someone who went 10 for 20. Two people who went right. 10 for 20. And somebody who was a single short of the cycle did not make the finalists. Brooklyn Maxwell's like, I'm the leadoff. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Wow. Unreal. Yeah. Tori Hedgecock. Great job, everyone. Yeah, this is, I mean, and I couldn't even get any pitchers in here. There were a couple who deserved it, and I was like, you didn't throw a no-hitter. That was like the only way you were getting in. (laughs) That was it. It's like SEC Pitcher of the Week. Well, we had seven perfect games. I don't know who who gets to get it there. That was Robin Herod just like (laughs) sitting out here for the second perfect game in Arkansas history. And then just nothing. Mm. She's like, there's no room in the inn. (laughs) Tori Hedgecock's our player of the week. Well done. Yes. Shall we head home? Let's do it. Okay. When we come back, opening month power rankings. What's a little vibe check? You know, we'll give our top fives in the SEC. Maybe check on another team or two that we don't mention. Off the wall. Tom's hungry. Plenty to do when we come back. I like it. Let's go. Here we go. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. Brian and Tom are here. We're heading home. What a just juiced, swaggy segment and show this will be and has been. As always. Of course. And now we're heading home 
people are listening to the new JLo album, I guess. Something's happening soon, I feel like. Isn't there new music out there for uh, the world? Beyonce. Yes. Be- Beyonce. <laughs> of course. <laughs> what? I don't know why that just sounded so French in my head when you said that. I'm sure right, you no, said it normal. I did not. No, I think I did. I did oh, put you did say Beyonce. I put an accent on it. The country artist. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. SEC opening month power rankings. A vibe check. How do we feel about the teams in the conference thus far? We'll give our top five. I, I don't really even want to particularly order them because I don't think that's fair. Mm-hmm. because i like i don't know how to evaluate some of the things that teams have done like we talked about earlier and what aired on it just means more softball texas a&m has like a super puzzling loss but have so far taken care of business in in ways that are more impressive to me than i was expecting so we're just gonna gonna go no particular order and uh okay we'll trade off you want to go first or shall i uh i think you should go first. okay uh georgia seems quite clearly a lock to be a top five SEC team this year. I've loved the offense. I think the pitching will get better. Uh, the ERA is elevated because of Clearwater. I like the fact that you've got three true horses and Kerpix, Walters, and Bacchus that you can trust to throw significant innings. And I think that this is as dangerous an offense uh, as you'll see in the country, certainly in the SEC. So I feel fairly confident about having Georgia in my top five. Okay. Um, I'm going to put Alabama in my top five, okay. uh, undefeated so far. And I just love seeing what I saw from the offense here this past weekend. And the pitching has just been, um, lights out from the word go. So we've seen Alabama have the entire depth and pitching staff out there. That's going to keep them in every ball game. We've talked to Patrick Murphy about it several times. Defense and pitching should always be constant. You know, offense is going to have some ebbs and flows, but if the pitching and defense continues to put put out the effort they're doing, Alabama's going to be right there and is going to win a whole lot of ball games. Yeah, it does help. I'll go ahead and put Alabama in my top five as well. I think that's deserved. It does help that this is, again, I'll go back to it, I think the best defense Alabama's had that I've covered. Yeah. And knowing that, you're not going to, for the most part, have games where you just give away runs. They right. will happen eventually. Sure. Yeah. Teams will get runs after an error. That is inevitable in this sport. But it is going to be much more limited than what we saw last year or a couple years ago. And I think that's huge for this pitching staff and an offense that just seems flat more explosive this year. Mm -hmm. And they seem to be taking to the shift in mentality quicker than I expected them to. We talk all the time about how new hitting coaches, it sometimes takes a full year, but the first month you won't see significant shifts. This past weekend, I saw a few significant shifts. Can that be sustained against teams like Arizona, pitchers like Olivia Lackey, and then inevitably conference play? I think that's the biggest question, but we'll find answers fairly soon. And like, and the great thing you pointed out as well is that when an error happens for Alabama, there's not a snowball effect like we have seen before, too. It's like, well, there were several games this week where Alabama committed an error, but there was not an unearned run charge to it because of it. Right. So that, that needs to be, if there isn't a mistake is, you know, you're going to make an error every once in a while. Uh, they don't let it compound itself. Uh, so that, that has been great to see for Alabama as well. I'll also put Georgia in my top five. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Same reason. Same reason. Yes. All right. I'll go ahead and say LSU. I mean, I, I do have concerns. There was never really a thought in my mind of LSU top three after 
Georgia lost after, you know, as the weekend was going on, I, I still don't necessarily think I have them. Look, I believe in Taylor Pleasance. I know Sidney Brazon is good. I think this is a very potent offense. And yet I still harbor hesitations because I've been burned in the past. And because of that, it's hard for me to fully buy in until I watch LSU against SEC opponents and having to play three games in a weekend. And can they do what they're supposed to do against teams in the conference that they are better than? And so until I see that, it's hard for me to even put them if we were ranking them at one or two. But I still think that they are firmly top half and in this case, top five, because the talent that they have is producing right now. Yeah. I'm also, LSU is also in my top five. The question marks I still have are, again, the ERA is elevated because they played in Clearwater, but also because I'm not 100% sure that they are as locked down as they're going to need to be to be a top five team. Mm. But I think as of right now, I'm going to put them in there. Uh, they've just found ways to win games and something we talked with Taylor Pleasance with about in the Just Means More Softball podcast was how many times this year already they've entered the seventh inning either tied or trailing and have found ways to win those games. Sometimes a team just kind of has that it factor to, to find, right. find ways to win games, and LSU's been that so far. So we've got two spots left. Right. I, I think we might start to differ on maybe a couple of these. Well, there's a team Although, that yeah. we have not mentioned yet that I'm not going to mention here. I'll leave you leave you tantalized a bit, dear listener. I am going to keep Missouri in my top five. I think. Really? Okay. Yeah, I like what I've seen from Cranks. I think the emergence of Harrison is good. I, I got to say, I didn't realize the stat thing until I looked it up for this outline for this podcast, because in my head, Missouri was getting it up and down. And it, it kind of reverted back to the last few years out the Mary Nutter. Laird and Honda are going to give you the great stuff, and it's about everybody else. Can they pick it up? Can they provide some kind of offense? I think the answer is yes, but I'm not 100% sure. Yet I still feel really good about the two pieces I know for Missouri in the offense and Krings, who's going to be solid, like you said on the pod. If not elite, she's always going to be good. Right. Always going to be solid. I feel like I just, I know the baseline of Missouri and right now I'll keep them in my top five. Yeah. I, I don't think I can, I can keep them in. I'm going to go ahead and put Tennessee in. Okay. Just talent wise, you know, they've, some of the issues they've had are, because of the schedule they've played. It's a tough schedule. We didn't even talk about the travel schedule that they've been on oh. either. To, to play in both the Mary Nutter and Clearwater back-to-back weekends is pretty tough to begin with, no matter who you're playing. You know, going to Waco before that. Right. Yeah, so uh, it has been quite a globetrotting schedule to start things off, so I think that might have a little something to do with what's happening. Uh, they're going to have to find ways to win games when whichever pitcher happens to be in the in the circle uh, doesn't have her A or, or even B game, which is what happened against Fullerton, apparently. And UCLA. Right. And UCLA, right. So, you know, Zeta Pooney is going to have to pick it up. Kiki Malloy is going to have to pick it up. I think they will. So I'm going to keep Tennessee in my top five. But it's the fact that we're even discussing them not being in the top five uh, is, is kind of puzzling. They're not in mine. I'm going with A&M. Wow. To round out my five. I. I've been really impressed by Emily Kennedy, just super impressed. And watching the end of the UTSA game, once we got back from Birmingham, I was like, man, her command is great. And that was the issue. That was the biggest problem. 
she was walking people. She was erratic. She's found it this year. And if she can keep being that difference maker coming from the left side, that's hard. You, you heard uh, Kinsey Fowler Quinn talk about AM a little bit earlier. I, I think the offense is getting better and better. Julia Cottrell has only been putting up like good numbers and their offense is doing what they're doing. Jazz Hill's a difference maker. I think AM is a very, very impressive team. And I think they're playing well right now. The Kansas game seems more and more like a weird anomaly than anything else. They've won some of the big games that they played against Oregon and San Diego State and those squads away from College Station. I don't know. Maybe it's just kind of the same thing I'm having with Missouri. I just I, they they haven't been at that level. I know. So it's hard for me to put them there yet. I think I'm going to have to put Florida there. Wow. Okay. Now, again, we I'd understand the difference. We talked about it between when they played a power five, when they don't. Well, but, we talked about it in a different part of the show. Sure. So 150 right. batting average against power five, 439 against mid-majors. Keep going. But my gosh, they're killing the mid-majors. They are just, <laughs> just absolutely just, just raking them over the coals. Friday, we did the scoreboard update. And we're like, wow, Alabama put up an eight spot on right. UAB. Let's check the scores. And holy what? Florida <laughs> scored 11 in the first? Okay. <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, I've seen some really impressive stuff from the, the freshman pitchers are going to have to rely on. I just can't believe we just did a top five. We didn't talk about South Carolina or Arkansas. Or Mississippi State, or Mississippi who would have been a lock if we did right. that a week ago. Yeah. Or Auburn, who has Batty Pinto through a no-hitter. Right. You know, that's why this conference is. <laughs> I mean, there's so it is a deep conference. But almost every team, I'll, no, every team has flaws uh, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, and it just depends on, you know, the matchups that they're playing. Are they playing a team that can uh, exploit those flaws? And sometimes people just want to just want to hone in on the flaws as if that's all that occurs. All right. In, in the vacuum. Mm. Play the drop. It's time for off the wall. Stop complaining when we win. You know, differentiating between facts and opinions, people. I've seen enough to know that I've seen too much. The conspiracy heard round the Facebook. Get your tinfoil hats out. Let people enjoy things. First off, red pen, please. Please. I can't believe we're talking about it. It's so asinine. It's like I, I, I had a thesaurus out looking up ways to describe dumbassery. Don't send novels to the coaching staff. Farcical. Absolutely ridiculous. Okay, here we go. Tom, I've got a few things in the document, but as always, I you know, I like to give you honors off the tee box. Is there anything off the wall that you want to particularly chime in on? Did you did you get any DMs about your pronunciations of any of the teams? <laughs> uh, not this week. Oh, good. So good for you. Yes, so improvement. You I got guess. Alabama, Birmingham, North Alabama, and Alabama all correct. As far as as far as I know, again. <laughs> I didn't look at the pronunciation guide, so I think Alabama was correct. I don't understand how we have an off-the-wall segment after this past weekend, but I guess we did. Yeah. All right. Did what, you what, have any specifics? Not, not not specifics that I saw. Okay. I would love to hear. because Well, another thing, for my own sanity, I try to avoid some of the places that you go to find this stuff. Sure. I dig, I dig sure. a little bit. Yeah. You know, for the pod, that journalism degree hanging over this laptop didn't get itself (laughs) for science. I had to do the work. Yes. Okay. So Alabama put out like the day after we recorded an interview 
little video clip with Callie Hevlin talking about the team chemistry. Remember that? I did. That was awesome. Yeah, because part of the uh, uh, Team Twenty Eight mm-hmm. video series that are being that's being done on Alabama social. Well, media. separate from that, Is but that, okay. yeah, separate from that, this was at like actual media. Oh, okay. She answered a question. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. So, although although check that out if you haven't all that the Team Twenty Eight stuff. Agreed. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Someone commented on it on that post. Chemistry won't win the SEC or make the World Series. You've got to hit the dang ball at some point. Season after season of no offense. Uh, we can talk about the last two sentences if we want to. I want to focus specifically on the first one. Chemistry won't win the SEC or make the World Series. Yes, it can. And it did last year. If it wasn't for the connectivity of the team, when Montana went down, Alabama would have crumbled, crumbled. If it wasn't for the culture and the chemistry of those players, then that run to OKC never happens. If you want to see it, team of unconnected people check out arkansas men's basketball that oh year. man yes. it's been bad so yeah chemistry can win the sec and make the world series it's not all of it you can't just win on chemistry yeah. but to say it doesn't factor in is ludicrous and to me a sign that you have never played sports or been involved in sports because that was one of the most ridiculous comments i've ever seen with someone trying to make a point, like clearly that's something that guy believes that's absurd. Right. No. Now you have to have talent to go along with the chemistry. Yeah. 100%. But chemistry is vitally important because there are a lot of really talented teams. Uh, It is the talented teams that have the most chemistry that play together, you know, enjoy each other's company that can work together. uh, Can at times, you know, what the other one is thinking without, you know, Mm Mm-hmm. Those are the teams that have those intangibles that win. If you don't have it, very, very rarely at the end of a season do like teams come together that win championships and say, man, we hated each other. That locker room was just very madness. rare. I mean, maybe, maybe outside of the 90s Bulls that maybe, you know, if you have Michael Jordan, chemistry might not be. But guess what? They're getting paid. Right. So like, and now again, a little different in this era, but still oftentimes before NIL, like chemistry was all you had. Right. Yeah. NIL. Yes. NIL is great. And I'm glad that the players are getting it, but you know, they're not going to be able to retire on the NIL that that they're getting. You know, they are going to have to get a job at some point, probably. Indeed. Somebody responded to the comment, by the way. I agree. Baseball, softball is only sport. The chemistry does not matter. You can't tell me different. Run on. And I am. Done. Craig. Yeah. (laughs) You have to hut by yourself, pitch by yourself, throw by yourself. It's not basketball or football or hockey. Stop. If you. What? I don't know why hockey got mixed in here. Why why he said stop. Is he doing a telegram? (laughs) You didn't put a 30 at the end of it? (laughs) journalism joke i'm telling you that this is that this is a different guy like, yeah no yeah it's different you're hit you're doing all this stuff it's an individual i agree the the one aspect i agree it is an individual sport played as a team like mm-hmm. there are there is a lot of individual stuff that has to happen but it's not like golf which is truly an individual right. sport. it's not like tennis where you're out there right. and now there's coaching but back in the day if you were playing in wimbledon like it's you you got to right. figure it out yourself right uh, you don't pitch by yourself because yeah, if they put it in play, you don't. You're not the one fielding it most of the time. So I hope you have a defense behind you that's doing so. Who's catching the ball if right. you're pitching by yourself? Unless you're Bugs Bunny in that cartoon playing every position, then no. You you, you it is a team. 
There are individual aspects to baseball and softball, but it is a team game. You don't think that chemistry was involved at all in the double plays turned in the UAB game? Oh, yeah. You, you gotta you gotta know each other, know what they're gonna do. Yeah. I again want to point out, you know, I got another comment I didn't even put in the doc about how come there's not streaming. I don't want to listen on radio. It's not like the 60s anymore. Like we've got stuff, even if it's not perfect, it's great that we've got stuff. Right. We have ways and sometimes we are you not just need to be okay with that. Again, we're not that far removed from there being like three televised games all year. Mm-hmm. We had two opening weekend on yeah. big ESPN. Yeah. Which is like pretty historic. Yeah. Also, Alabama, just by the way, I've run the numbers. It, it can always adjust. But I think it's the second most linearly televised SEC team. I think Tennessee had the most. I actually need to rerun it with Clearwater canceled. Tennessee had the most because they were in right. Clearwater. Because, yeah. They played in two of the biggest tournaments of the non-conference. Right. Uh, it's it, it's an, an, a place where people are just wanting to, to complain and be miserable and everything sucks. It's a terrible way. It's a terrible outlook to have. Not everything always sucks. Yeah. I mean, some things are okay. Some things are good. Yeah. Some things are great. Or come to the game. You know what? You know one way that you can avoid listening to me or you or the people on ESPN Plus or the SEC Network Plus or some things. Come to the game. By the way, stop trying to make a mountain out of a molehill if someone doesn't play a game. As we've discussed, the lineup is kind of a nightmare. There was like one game where Jenna didn't play, and the first comment was Roll Tide, where TF is Jenna. It's okay. We have multiple outfielders. Right. She can have a game off. It's fine. She can have a game off and still win conference player of the week. <laughs> That's a thing that occurred. We can't, on one hand, complain about X player mm. not getting at bats. And then on the other hand, complain about a player when they're not in the lineup. Right. There's only nine people in the lineup. We cannot increase it or adjust the number. This is not the FGCL. No. We cannot bat 11. This is not a PGF all-star game. We're right. at 14. It's like everyone gets an at bat. No, this is not how that works. That's part of you know filling out a lineup and deciding who gets a day off. And if somebody gets a day off, that doesn't mean that their arm's falling off or right. that they've broken something. It means you know we're gonna, we're gonna give them let a day you off. Chill. Let them... and if we need you, we'll bring you. Right. We'll bring you in. Yes. We're gonna let this other person who's also a starter caliber player get a start. It's all there. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's not that deep. There's not. There's not a grand conspiracy whenever somebody doesn't play. I think the fact that we are seeing so many different people getting starts it's good. is is a positive because it's showing you how deep this team is. Yeah, it's 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 a very good sign. Yeah. Now, I think once we get into conference play, we're going to see a more streamlined, you know, shorten the bench, so right. to speak. You heard me talk about that right. earlier. But if you're going to play in a in the tournament in Birmingham against UAB, UNA, Western Carolina, and Bradley, you should be able to play most of your team. Right. And Alabama was able to do that. It pretty much went according to plan. It was, again, like as good and well-executed a weekend as I can recall. Did you have any complaints about the food this weekend? No, although uh, I think uh, P-Tex's husband said that there are other better barbecue spots we could go to. I agree with that. We can dive into it. Which there probably is. But, uh, you know, but outside of that, no. Play the drop. It's time for Tom's Hungry. Yes. Tom, take it away. The bar for Tom's Hungry has been set incredibly high. 
the evening with the Shipmans and all their smoked meats of all types. Unbelievable. Would you like a bacon wrapped scallop? Yes, I would. After all the pictures, when I got home, my wife said I'm not allowed to eat a carb for like three or four days. As I am pumping insulin, just thinking about as much food as I ate. Yes, it's softball, blah, 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 food. drop heavy nowadays aren't we it's time for tom's hungry this is the food segment it's a heavily produced podcast yes it is look at me i mean it's not like i'm doing anything else with my time <laughs> so fun caveat to all this so if you don't know i am from birmingham so a lot of the places that we went to i've been to for years and it was very exciting to me seeing you and sherry and whoever else joined us emily p tech once for a meal uh, to see y'all react to the food that you were eating. So I'll add some some colorful commentary as per usual. But Tom, this is your segment, please. What did we do on Friday as I was blearily driving, chugging a Celsius that I had left in the car like a freaking genius? Wow. Forgot I'd done it. And I sat down and I was like, I love you, me, and chugged it, pulling out of the airport. A lot of backstory there. Tell me, yeah. Tom, how was Friday? It was good. Uh so uh, Sherry and I were driving up on Friday mm -hmm. and I said, Sherry, make a decision. You're in charge. Where are we eating? Oh, no. And she she was not happy about that, but she did make the decision. And the decision she made, she found Mudtown Eat and Drink, mm. which is not at the summit, but it's near the summit. In Cahaba Heights. In Cahaba Heights. We started off with basically cheese fries, but it is smoke melted gouda and bacon with the fries mm -hmm. very good and then i followed up just a good old-fashioned bacon cheeseburger with the uh garlic cheese grits which i oh. thoroughly enjoyed i didn't know that's what you got i would yes. have stolen a bite if there was any left was there, there any left no. oh well damn. <laughs> some of us got good there to on, know now some of us got there on time <laughs> Tom, i had to let the people know what caitlin russell threw <laughs> watch film yes whatever i got the wedge salad typically when i'm there i get the crab their crab cakes are really good mm -hmm. but i had taken my meds so i was like i'm i'll eat the salad with the grilled chicken and that's that's all i need and i was also just like trying to i don't know get my body chemistry back in the right way because mm -hmm. i don't know if i made this clear earlier i was very tired and that whole friday was just like not real to me i don't i i get paid for the games but i'm not right. sure i could give you a single detail of what happened at UAB on Friday. <laughs> uh, after So after that game, we just went home. We were yeah. like, all right. It's like, bye. Y'all yeah. do you. I'm yeah. We out. No. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day, we came back up. Had the same schedule. Uh, so we went to a place that Emily Pizek had recommended for us, Martin's Barbecue Joint, mm -hmm. uh, which was really good. I got just a, the pulled pork sandwich, coleslaw on the pulled pork, pulled pork sandwich, which I always recommend and potato salad uh very good stuff compared to good bowl potato salad how was it it's well it's not good bowl okay but it's I, good but it's not good bowl. i got the patty melt with pimento cheese you know i love my pimento cheese uh martin's is solid it's not my favorite barbecue place around town i got in the car and i was like all right well, what do we want and sherry was like we're going to martin's I'm like, okay <laughs> again yeah, now we We've let power go to Sherry's head now. She is picking, she's picking everything. Sherry unhinged. <laughs> it was good. Uh, one of the issues I've had at Martin's is especially on the weekends because it's a popular spot for families and a lot of people will pile in, people after rec league basketball or whatever. Sometimes it takes a minute for the food to get out. 
oftentimes it depends on who you order and just luck or what you order and the luck of a draw. And I kind of got a little unlucky, but yeah. also I was on the meds. So I didn't, I, I would finish before y'all did. And I got my food, what, 15 minutes after you did? Yeah, I was like, Sharon and I were almost done with ours when, when yours got there. That is frustrating when the whole table isn't brought their food at the same yeah. time. Uh, but with separate orders, I understand. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, went to Cookie Fix after that. Yes, we did. So A popular spot. Always good stuff. Yeah. Got the chocolate uh, peanut butter cup. You know, I never actually asked you, how was your cookie? It was good. When did you eat it? You didn't eat it while you were driving. No, uh, I ate some of it uh, like during the game and then brought some of it home and, and the children finished it off. That's very sweet of you. <laughs> that wasn't it's my like, plan. It's, it's like, like a father bird bringing it back for the kids. That's That wasn't my plan. It's just what happened. I came out. I was like, where's my cookies? Oh, they're gone. Uh, so, but but well, they are your children. That's true. Right. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I did get at least a few bites of both of them, and they were very good. Okay, very nice. Uh, next up, uh, after the games, we were talking about it on air, and thank goodness they were still open. Went to Davenport's and got a got a nice pizza pie. Mine was uh, I went with a build my own kind of. I was inspired by Jenna Johnson on that Team Twenty Eight. She was one of the things she was talking about. Do you like pineapple on your pizza? Mm. Uh, I'm not a every time pineapple on the pizza guy, but I get it every once in a while. So I got pineapple, ham, and, and pepperoni on the pizza. You were like, Jenna went four for four. Yes. So let me remember this detail from one video. <laughs> the one thing I remember is her food choice. And it was good. It was very good. So this, we went to the one by the movie theater, the new yeah, one. Right. I've gone to the one in Mount Mer Village my whole life. Emily Pizza Clifford and I both think it's the best pizza in Birmingham. I love it. You know, I used to get my hair cut right next to the old location. And I would show up like 20 minutes early, place a to-go order for a lunch pizza, get my hair cut, grab the to-go pizza and eat it on the way home back to Tuscaloosa. Wow. Just, just a routine nailed it. Iconic. I mean, that was like, is the day is great. We did it. Hooray. Mm -hmm. And I'd come back for whatever Zoom I had scheduled or something. Davenport's is phenomenal. And uh, I am just, I'm thrilled that it was still open. Thank you for closing at 10 on the weekends. Yes. Uh, and then on Sunday, early to rise, so nothing beforehand. Afterwards, we went to Melt in, in Hoover. Yes. We went, it's just like grilled cheeses and various sandwiches and yeah. whatnot. What'd you get? I got the chicken parm melt and fried, too. And fried pickles. I wish I'd gotten the macaroni egg rolls. Those looked tremendous. Those are steady. Like yeah. that, I always get that when I'm at Melt. Okay, yeah, I'll note note that for next time. So we do this segment. And I, <laughs> yeah, and we got the same sandwich, so we both liked it. Yeah, it was good. I finished it today. Yeah, which is great, mm -hmm. and it was still good. I finished it there. Yes, she did. <laughs> but I did. I want did, to do? Yes, but I did bring some of the pickles home to the wife who enjoys the pickles. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so I, all in all, a good weekend. I'm always here to help the rest of the family. Apparently, <laughs> I'm supposed to provide for him or something. I guess that's the end of the episode. It was kind of, you know, it's really nice to have an episode where you can actually talk about stats and substance. And we got to really dive into Alabama and what the plan looks like and not have to worry about some of the, the dumbass things people say. For the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's hard to complain when it was quite the, quite the weekend for the Crimson Tide. When you have a game, when you hit five homers, I mean, what, what, come on. Mm. And oh my, what a weekend this will be. What a week this will be. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, wall-to-wall -wall softball. Uh, we'll go over the media information for it because 
people still seem confused about what means what and why, but we know one thing will be true. There's radio for every game. So Tom, how can the people tune in? They can tune in over the air on 97.5 FM online at nick975.com and the MeTV 975 app will have all the games for you. And then Wednesday, I have not seen information streaming wise. My assumption is it's ESPN plus. If it is, that is different from SEC Network Plus. So prepare accordingly if you are watching. And we would love for you to watch and listen as well. They're right. Like, why not? No one's going to know Alabama better than us. That's right. There you go. Yeah. Thursday, it is SEC Network Plus, but with Tom Solo multi-platform excellence. Somebody's doing something. I'm out at Women's Basketball Senior Day. Yeah. There you go. Just, which didn't go well last year when I was there. But huge win for, for, the women's basketball team against Mississippi State this past weekend. Yeah, what the heck? That was awesome. Ali and I out here are like, I'm going to make everything ever. <laughs> you cannot stop me. Yes. Hopefully she'll do that again for you on Thursday. That'd be fun. Like, because the last TV game I did was the Ole Miss 54-45 game. Mm-hmm. Into, where nothing happened for four quarters. <laughs> it was like Ole Miss took a 10-0 lead and then just like the margin never grew. It never changed. Or any, it was just constantly 10 the whole time. Right. I, was, I don't I don't foresee that happening. I hope not. Yeah. Bama playing well. Yeah. And then on the weekend, Tao and I are on SEC Network Plus. So you got options, you got radio, you got streaming. It will be a full broadcast Friday and Saturday. So not to worry. I've already sent all my stats in for graphics. They were like, "Why? what? This is a four-page document. I said, <laughs> yeah, and I didn't send you a few, yeah, actually. Just pick, pick the best. Just whatever you want. Yeah. Olivia Lackey versus CSEC. Yeah. yeah, so it's going to be a lot of fun. So the only time you'll actually hear Tom and Gray together is Jacksonville on Wednesday. Which, what will that look like? Who knows? <laughs> Hopefully they, they have a place that we can plug in and sit down and golf a game. I need a place to plug in, and I need some kind of opening to put the GoPro on. And that's it. That's pretty much it. That's it. We don't ask for much. I mean... We have called a game literally from a standing room only area <laughs> in the rain already this year. <laughs> So it, 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 we can do it wherever we need to. We can do it. Tom, your socials for the people. T Canterbury RTR on the X is the main place you can find me. And I will tweet out all those links and everything, as I know you will as well, mm-hmm. uh, to follow us all weekend long. I will be at Gray underscore Robertson, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. And at out of the box underscore Pi will be retweeting both links. So there's no excuse. There's none. Yeah. None. Every base is covered. You got radio, you got streaming, just... Just push the button. That's it. That's all I got. And there will be multiple tweets with which the buttons are provided. <laughs> Thank you to Kenzie Fowler-Quinn for joining us. Tom, any last words before we... And speaking of, of pushing the button, we haven't... I don't think I've mentioned this as much this year either. If you go to RollTide.com and go to the schedule play, page for Alabama softball, there are links to the broadcast right there. Everything. Stats, yes. broadcast, it's all there. So, again, button pushed. Boom. Done. Ugh. Listen. That's it. Enjoy. <laughs> Thrive. Stop yelling at us. Softball. Or your children. Music? Hopefully not. Commercials, yes. Live reads, uh-huh. Faux shizzled. <laughs> we have all that for you. Rolltide.com. <laughs> On the schedule page. 
that's it for this episode. Thank goodness. <laughs> We're done. For Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Thank you to everybody for tuning in. Conference play. Next week is the conference play episode. We're, we're doing SEC series picks next week. Next week. Dumb. Month away from Bracketology. We love it. We love it. That's Tom. I'm Gray. We'll see you next time on the Out of Box Podcast.